In a row for the Buck, and how good does it feel as we come back in the Brunswick Sharehouse Studios on yet another Monday for yet another edition of FES. My name is Jason. I am your host. Joining me in the Brunswick Sharehouse Studios are the boys minus buds, uh, who we can announce uh, did have the baby, the baby of the people on, when was it, Dave? Oh, jeez, put me on the spot there. Thursday, Friday? Thursday or Friday? Thursday morning. Yes, Thursday morning. Yes. The, uh, the baby, the people is now out there. So uh, congratulations to our Fantastic, very own man of the people. gorgeous baby girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah. Takes most of her mother's features, certainly not <laughs> Bud's. No, actually, I, I saw a, a photo of, uh, of the little one. No, no, no. Looked very much like the, uh, the man of the people, I would have thought. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's off again this week, uh, possibly back next week, we think. Uh, instead, though, Rudy Edsel is joining us on for fuck's sake welcome back rudy i'm like the uh oldie version of the man of the people mm. becoming part of the furniture now the uh, the regular fill-in just uh you know filling in for these boys all the time but uh good to have you in and yes, uh, thank ha- you mate how good does it feel having the vuck uh, on six in a row we're approaching uh record territory yes Vucks. a lot of people think it's seven in a row but no. dave you're quickly oh, uh it's eight quick in a row to, yeah, yeah quick to dispel eight that. in a row across seasons there was a in the end of a season where we had won like three or four in a row and then we won another four in a row at the start of the season. Um, I should have been prepared and had that up. So that's happened twice then, the eight in a row, is that what you're saying? Because I thought you said that we won one at the end of the first season, which is... 15, All 16. of these questions without notice. No, you hit me, uh, well, you hit me with this. <laughs> it's your in, stat. In the, in the group chat. You hit yeah, me with this yeah. last week. On, on, no, during the weekend, actually. I said, uh, this will be the... Uh, we're going for the... Anyway, for the record seven. is eight in a row. Yes. So we've still got... That's a good way to uh, change the subject, Dave. Yes, just exactly. Uh, say that, yeah. yeah. But uh, <laughs> yeah, eight in a row. So it's not quite uh, the record week just yet. Uh, if we do yeah, win we're approaching it and City. it's exciting. Having said that, it would knock the wind out of my sails a little bit, Rudy. You know, despite these six wins in a row, if we were to come up short against that mob this Saturday. I can't, yeah. You I mean, know, I know what you're saying, it, and I know it's it the derby and all that stuff, but I can't, surely. Not them. Not them. Not not now. No, no, no. It happens, though. That's the derby, but uh, I'd say confidence, as far as this podcast goes, is at uh, sky-high levels. I don't think we've ever been this confident in the team, even you know last year during the final series. Is this the best stretch victory we've ever played. I know we've had the, a winning streak of eight. And I know we, we started off the, the first championship we are, uh, year winning our first seven, but I can't remember doing it just as well as this and playing as, as such a great brand of football. It's just Undoubtedly, Jace. Undoubtedly, Archie Thompson came out and said, this is the most exciting victory team ever, which is incredibly out of character for him to say something so modest and humble, isn't it, Rudy? <laughs> Well, he's normally you're pretty reserved about his judgments on Melbourne victory, <laughs> and, how, and how good he was. Yeah, and how good yeah. he was. But is he right? Is he is he right? Is this the best? It for me, it is. As in playing the best stuff, I, yep. I think yep. unquestionably. I think the only team in A League's history that comes close is Angers Raw Salona. Yeah, that's and um, 
Jeez, you yep. said that with some contempt there, that raw Salona. Oh, well, I mean, I'm on the Melbourne Victory podcast here. <laughs> I don't like anyone. <laughs> um, yeah, but we're playing outstanding stuff at the moment. Like the fourth goal on the weekend, complete training drill. We're just taking the absolute piss. Mm. <laughs> yeah. He's spinning the ball on his finger. <laughs> Lots on the show this week. So much to get through. We will, of course, discuss the Brisbane Brawl result on Friday night. Uh, the 4-2 result. Uh, what a first half. There's you know, so many talking points from that first half. Uh, Guardian journalist Jonathan Howcroft joins us on the phone to discuss uh, the victory as well as expansion, governance, and so much more. We'll chat about the Melbournians disbanding after the derby. Uh, We'll also have our own little chat about expansion. I'm fired up about expansion. I'll tell you what. uh, A little bit about Asian Cup squad selection. That's not too far away. And uh, Youth League and Women's Team before looking ahead to the huge derby on Saturday night against Melbourne City at Amy Park. Uh, To the Patreons who have jumped on board, in the last week thank you shout outs to Amelia Roth Joshua Bithal and Luke do we have a surname for Luke no he's just Luke Luke and you know clearly he's very important because he only has a first name fantastic thank you Luke and thank you to all of our Patreons who have jumped on those rewards are not too far away we might even bring some of those Temple Brewing vouchers to the game on Saturday night if you do see us and you are a Patreon come and hit us up the uh, music theme this week is Dave's Choice. And Dave, take us through your choice. Donnie Darko. So um, had a bit of a uh, chat with our guest from last week, Hutch. And that topic came up and I was like, you know what? The, the tunes on that movie are banging. Yeah. And uh, let's just go with that this week. Uh, I just thought, you know, it'd be a really good fit. And no real reason. Yeah. Just because good music. You did write that in on the rundown. You wrote no reason just because I actually just assumed that you were fucked up on the couch on the weekend watching Donnie Darko and thought, Yep, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this as nah, the music nah, theme. Nah. Just because <laughs> you did not watch Donnie Darko on the weekend? No, I didn't, no. Okay. And look, as far as expansion is concerned, of course you're excited about expansion. Every, all of us all the Vucks, they're they're their pants are expanding mm-hmm. from the football that the Vucks are producing right now. So I think the fact that you not only like the movie Donnie Darko, but the music from the movie Donnie Darko is the least surprise I've ever been the whole time I've known you. Hey, okay. I'm, I'm on board with this one. I think so it's a great I. choice. It's There's a great some, there soundtrack. There are some rippers on that soundtrack. Yeah. Yes. So uh, let's get rolling. You're listening to For Fuck's Sake. in Brunswick East, home of the award-winning bicycle beer. Temple's amazing beer is all brewed on site in the amazing brew house. Their team of experienced and skilled brewers work hard to ensure that you enjoy every mouthful of tasty, delicious craft beer. Doesn't get any fresher than this, Vux. 
Your beer was brewed footsteps away from where you're enjoying it. The bar, restaurant and function space is big enough for 100 people ensures you can enjoy a warm, comfy experience for any occasion. Visit the team at 122 Western Street, Brunswick, or give them a follow on Insta at Temple Brewing. Thank you to our friends at the Temple Brewing Company. What a huge, huge, huge uh, game for the victory on Friday night. Obviously, getting our six winner in the row against the Brisbane Raw. Uh, the game wasn't called off, thankfully. Um, that was up in the air up until about Thursday. In Would have been morning. in strife if they played it here. Yeah, <laughs> I know, yeah, it was, it was it was worse for sure. Oh, I got caught up in Richmond, sorry to sidetrack, and, and flooded and uh, couldn't get home for yeah, a while I, there. I left the office and it took me an hour to get about 250 metres in Clarendon yeah. Street. Ridiculous. So uh, two goals to Costa Barbarousas, uh, Honda and Toivonen. All the big guns are firing, uh, as has been the case pretty much over the last uh, over the last six weeks. It has just been amazing. Dave, let's throw to you, the chief analyst of For Fuck's Sake. What were your thoughts on an oh, interesting that, game? That first half was such a delight to watch. Uh, the only thing that ruined it was the uh, couple of goals from Brisbane, really. Uh, I just everything uh, clicked for us you know, in those moments. And I think it, it's, in a weird way, Botiak getting sent off kind of... Uh, diminished our dominance a little bit. I think we kind of just, you know, particularly the, the contrast between the first half and the second half was such that, you know, it, it felt as though, yeah, the wind's in the bag, we don't have to do much else here, let's not, you know, overexert ourselves. Cascade would have been a bit upset. And he was, yeah. at the end of the game. He wants those goals, he wants, uh, he's not satisfied with with uh, with just holding on to a lead, he wants those goals. Yeah, Melbourne Victory appears to be his passion project at the mm. moment, just <laughs> scoring goals for Melbourne Victory. Um, we nearly conceded in the first minute, more yes. or less. That was a real concern. There was some, uh, I think Ross and John had uh, told the Brisbane boys to, to come out snarling and barking, and they uh, they put us on the back foot early. But um, once we scored, I wasn't, I was pretty sure we were going to win. And then when Botiak got sent off, he's their best player. It was yeah, uh, yeah. felt like a, even though they scored pretty quick, it still felt, uh, still just felt like um, a lay down was there. We we went to Suncorp and we were the dominant side. Even even with the man before the man advantage, we were dominating possession, and there was such good fluidity in our movement forward. Um, uh, yeah, the, the the quality of football we touched on that during our introduction, but it really is the awareness of our players to know where each other are, the runs that we're making, and also importantly, the things that defenders are doing right now, basically. Being able to anticipate the movements because I think this is going to start to happen a lot more. Teams are going to really try and constrict what we do because of the way we're playing. But the, so how can you do the that? Rhythm. If you're if you're an opposition coach now, how can you plan for Melbourne victory? Are there any? It's it's really difficult to to say this during a six game winning streak. Are there any weaknesses you could say um, that's where they're right for the picking? Because right now it doesn't seem like there's any weak, weaknesses whatsoever. Well, and. At the moment, yeah, I'd have to say that that is the case because let's not forget, we managed to win on the road against Brisbane without mm-hmm. two of our imports who you would say would start on most weeks, particularly Niedermeyer. Raul Baena has been sort of in and out of the side, but for my money, I would have him ahead of Valeri. That's not to discount Carl yeah. at all, but two starters out and we kind of did it easy. Uh, you know, I hate sort of saying it was easy because 
football isn't easy. You, yeah. you have to show up on the day and execute your game plan, and we did that. Uh, so, look, I mean, is there a way to stop us? Yes, there is. You know, I think organised teams will be able to do so. They'll, they'll be able to anticipate things a lot better. But mm-hmm. we, you know, we've come up against most of the better sides. Uh, you know, Sydney FC, I think we did a, a reasonable job of, of taking care of them. Adelaide certainly restricted us in that first half True. Uh, week before last at uh, Marvel Stadium. So mm. there are ways around it. Um, and the question is, do we have the patience and resolve to overcome it just as we did against Adelaide? Yeah. And Perth, when Perth beat us, it wasn't a case of them restricting us. They basically outgunned us yep. and we were a side that weren't uh, really gelling at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, I mean, it's hard to... The way the, the front five really yeah, yeah. works together... It's hard to see them not scoring in any game of football. It, it's it's al- it's almost a matter of time. Do you know is what, what it looks like? Do you know what this all actually reminds me of? I'm, 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 I look back to our uh, our guy Mehmet, right? Yes. Remember when Mehmet got in charge? He was like, you know, I just want to play beautiful football triangles. You know, pass and move, <laughs> right? We're actually doing that. This is Mehmet's vision. Mehmet's vision is being realised five years later. Uh, We're actually uh, playing that kind of football. You're just like, pass a load, pass and move, you know? (laughs) And it's actually a joy to watch. I know we're going to bang on about how good it is to watch and whether whether it's the best ever and all of that. Uh, it, It kind of is at the moment. But, yeah, we should... Try and keep our feet on the ground, I guess, is what for, I'm saying. For sure. But it, it does... I mean, it's dizzying watching us play. The, the, I mean, Adelaide came and, and had a crack at constricting, got really... You know, we, we, we got them. And then Brisbane couldn't get near us. Once they, once they click together the front five, there's nothing. Like, they're all just so... They're all so good at what they do. Like, Terry Antonis is the best back healer in the comp at the moment. Oh. And when you've got Corey Brown fizzing in, in balls oh. assists... Um, for for all the toyvin and I mean, <laughs> yeah. So Corey Brown is is an interesting talking point, seen by many as the weak link in mm-hmm. this starting eleven at the start of the season. In the last few weeks, he's really come into his own, uh, starting to really get accustomed to what Kevin Musket wants out of him. And we've made observations about how the fullbacks in this particular system yeah. operate differently to how they have in previous years for us. Uh, Corey Brown is doing more than just being serviceable right now. Well, we've had, you know, those um, those fullbacks kind of in previous years in which we've been good. Last year didn't occur, but Georgievsky uh, providing a bit of an option up forward. And we didn't really have that last year. And, and both Corey Brown and Storm Rue are really giving a really good connection between uh, Costa and uh, and. Antonis and also uh, Honda. It's just yeah, they're they're a threat um, going forward. They're not they're not neutral in any way. They are completely positive, and you can give Corey Brown as much shit as you want, um, but he's playing a positive brand of football. And he's not shying away from anything. They make kind of you know different runs, and and their interplay with the midfield is is different ultimately, and and the way the midfield is set up in this kind of um, narrow diamond sort of lends itself to that. Now, Corey Brown, we just spoke of, he was the victim of what I can only describe as being a disgusting tackle from uh, Jean-Éric Boutillac. Not, not a red card, be- though. Not a red card. I can't believe he wasn't sent off for that uh, I thought that was hyper-reality. The, I thought that was tackle. the only thing Adam Fielding got wrong all night. 
was not sending Botiak off for that. It was yep. he was basically begging to get red, red carded when he flew in there. It was so late, it was so high, it was so vicious. All he was trying to do was hurt hurt Corey Brown, and I mean, eventually got his wish in that mm-hmm. ensuing melee. But it was it was nuts. It was a complete brain snap. It's like uh, you said, you know, he was like doing his best to to hurt Corey Brown, but it 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 also sends a bit of a. a a message or a bit of a sent creates an impression that he didn't want to be on the pitch and the way he stormed off and was just kicking things and you know, <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. all of this like it's it's sort of they're an unhappy camp right now at uh, Brisbane uh, and he's supposed to be one of their leaders uh, and more experienced campaigners, uh, Botiak. So I'd, I'd, I'd be unhappy if I had to roll into work to see, see Ross Hillowis every, every day as well. <laughs> that, that, said, that said, old mate Ross off, uh, if you never need an excuse to set old, old mate Ross off, is that, um, yeah, he, oh, he's infuriating to watch on TV, just his little hissy fits. I just, I hate it. Um, the victory are taking the piss so much as well that they score goals. They're scoring four fun literally at the moment, four goals again this week. And even just the subdued celebrations, it's just as if they, you know, this like, is what we're supposed like to do. This is what we do. We score yeah, goals. Yeah. I said at halftime, I go, well, that was a pretty uh, good half of indoor. Yeah. <laughs> it, was like, it was like an indoor indoor game where, you know, it's 4-2 and it ends up as 10-3. Kind of. yeah. yeah, classic. Uh, there but, were... Um, Except, so many exceptional performances across the pitch, yep. and we have to single out a few of these. Uh, James Tracy uh, had two mm. assists but did not feature in the votes at all. That's how good uh, the, the team performance was across the park, that James Tracy can have two assists and, and not um, not feature in the votes. The first one to Costa Barbarousas, that is oh. a magical ball lofted mm. over yep. the defence, uh, straight onto Costa Barbarousas' feet, and uh, a really good finish for him as well. Not, not uh, easy to do. Uh, Costa Barbarus is finishing off that goal. James really wants to go to the Asian Cup. <laughs> we we were under a bit of pressure at that point yes. as well, and um, just the the vision from here to look up and just know exactly where Barbarus is going to be, and just plopped it straight on his foot. It was he's was so good. He's peaking right now, and I, I just watched some of his runs, and he's found extra pace. Is it the is it the the new haircut? Well, what what is it? But he. He's I about didn't see 400 him. grams of hair lighter. Yeah, <laughs> but I didn't see him running the way he ran on Friday night all of last season. You're right, though. He just probably wants to go to the Asian Cup. He's motivated again. Maybe, and it could be. Here's the thing, and I want to segue into this, but what, what if it's got a bit to do with our new assistant and the way he's kind of guiding some of what's going on in the park? Because there was a moment after that beautiful build-up and goal where the entire bench just got around Carlos Salvatua. And I thought that was intriguing to watch because it's like clearly some form of instruction that he's given the players that eventuated on the pitch and everybody on the bench knew it. Yeah, I'd love to break down this goal because it was uh, it's not very often you get set pieces come off and there's there were a couple especially in the A-League. There were a couple <laughs> that Victory have had over the years. Um, I remember one against Sydney that Archie Thompson scored. Uh, a couple in the Carlos and Andrew days, days as well, but nothing uh, quite like this for a while now. And I was trying to watch it from the very start, from when that corner was awarded, and there was no signal at all given by uh, Honda when he was about to take the penalty. Usually you'd put the, the fingers up or the hand up and indicate what play you're going to do. There was none of that. So I don't know if uh, this was prearranged well before, that you know, if we get this corner this time, we're going to do this. But Carl Valeri might be the one that actually uh, signifies the... 
the start of the play. So he um, he pr- provides a bit of a path for Costa to run around the side yeah. to get the ball. And, and Carvalari, standing next to Costa, starts waving his hands as if to say, no, 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 no. As if, like, it's off. We're not doing it. It's off. But then he runs around a bit of misdirection, leads the defenders astray, provides a path for Costa to run around. By that stage, uh, James Therese is laying it off for him from behind. So yeah. uh, space opened up. Yep. Really uh, interesting to watch. Uh, if you've got a KO Sports subscription, it's a really good tool for this now because you can go back, you go back to the 46 minute really quickly and see you know, exactly what happened. And if you watch it in its entirety, it's just really interesting to see how it came about. And yeah. one of the uh, more impressive goals, I dare say, for the entire season of might be the, the goal of the season. <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty good to watch, wasn't it? <laughs> I just loved that. Um, yeah, all the coaching staff got around. Uh, what did you say his name was? Uh, Carlos Salvatore. Salvatore, and um, it was obvi- obviously he's built to play. And um, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I don't know if it's a, yeah, I don't know if it's a coincidence that uh, we're looking so much slicker since he came came along. I think um, he's obviously quite obviously provided an injection of ideas, and I think. That's what assistants are supposed to be all about. You know, Jean-Paul de Marinet's done the rounds in, in Australia. Like He's like, what do you reckon we should do, JP? <laughs> Play direct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it'd be like... It'd be I, so, you know, I get the feeling... Yeah. I always got the feeling JP was just basically Kevin Musket 2.0. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, barking, barking. He's basically our, our Ross Eloisi. But they, Pretty much, yeah. They thought that he was almost um, the reason why Vichy was so good after that... 14-15 championship Maybe. and he left for Newcastle the year after and then we were, we were pretty shit afterwards and then he came back and then we you know, made a grand final so he was actually given a fair amount of, uh, of credit but this new boy uh, from uh, he's got what Real Madrid Spanish, pedigree yeah is 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 it is Kev um, the product of his uh, assistance? Maybe is that partly? I mean, is it? I mean, I mean not. I mean, obviously, he's not completely. So, but... There's so much talk of that, though. Even Postecoglou's success was put down to Rado Vidic, and then he came Our to brains. the Vuk. But then he came to the Vuk, and he wasn't that good, was he? No, he, no. I think he was turf pretty quickly. So I mean, I, I think Kevin Musket uh, must be applauded. He uh, is whether he's got help or not. Um, He's doing so well. At the that's moment. the help he needed. Ultimately, he let we all keep forgetting how you know early it is in Muskie's managerial career. Mm-hmm. This has been his only job. What did you do in your first job when you started out? You know, you didn't have a Carlos Salvatore telling you how to. I don't know. What, no, mate, I was stack shelves I was or washing was. dishes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I was how about wash, wash them this way? That. Yeah, <laughs> I could, I could do that already more, more efficiently. <laughs> um, yeah, last time I was on. Costa got his first goal because Honda gave him the pen. Since then, he's um he's up to four in the league. Wow! And um and I was we were, remember we were talking at the time about how basically Honda's just managing the team on the run, mm. and he's gone give Costa this so he can score the goal. Worked brilliantly. It looks like, like a master stroke, doesn't it, does. it? It's not like as if you know Costa has the confidence to go and hit that volley, but it's uh it looks like an absolute master stroke from Honda now that he's the sole reason why. Costa Barbarossa now has four goals in three games. It's uh, it's absolutely amazing. Just another testament to the man. I thought he was, uh, you know, probably a little bit uh, down again this week. Still, you know, his level is still very, very high, even when he's not uh, dominating games. And if that's his down. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> still scores a goal. Still influential. Still taking more than one defender every time he touches the ball. Wow. And he uh, and he he kicked a bloke as well, didn't he? That was kicked Matty McKay. That was yeah. good. Oh. He, yeah, he gets Australian football. He knows. I think <laughs> he, when he I saw that, kick. 
Mackay did his usual sort of, you know, weird face expressions, uh, looking back at Honda, who's like nodding his head. And Honda, I, I think Honda just wanted to put him down. Yeah. Uh, it was just one of those moments. She was like, you know what? I don't like this guy. <laughs> and they have history. How about Socceroos versus Japan all over those years? 59 caps, Matt Mackay. Uh, yeah, he would have uh, come across him. How about know. the Toivonen and own goal as well? I don't know if you if you plan to mention it, but geez, it was a nice finish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Does it at both ends? He can't stop scoring. Hard worker. <laughs> he's uh, he's chock full of confidence as well. Has not has not um, featured in a game where he hasn't scored or assisted. So he's contributing every single week, week in week out. You'd say that his fitness is only going to get better as well. But he is. Uh, Amazing, and we've got him for two years. <laughs> it's it's how, under the cap. And how good is it that he'll be able to sort of mentor yeah. Kenny? You know, um, obviously Kenny won't see any game time while whilst Ola is fit. But it's mm-hmm. it's uh, it's an absolute pleasure to watch his soft feet. Mm-hmm. His soft feet are just a joy, a joy to watch. And uh, yeah. Good luck, A-League opposition. And usually sometimes we do a best 11. I won't, I won't put you guys on the spot, but uh, if you can give me uh, any listeners on Facebook or Twitter your best ever Vuck 11 under the cap, uh, it'd be a pretty oh, decent team. That's, that's, uh, yeah, that's yeah, an interesting like that. one. So that precludes Archie and Best. Archie, yeah, Best. But, but not Carlos. Not mm. Carlos. When he first arrived. Uh, no, no, no. If people who eventually became marquees, I'm not including them. Oh, no, maybe you can. Well. No, that, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking on the spot here. I don't yes. know. <laughs> we'll, put that uh, out. we'll put that out. That's right. I'm sure Hutch from last week will... He's already drafted yeah. the <laughs> let's, uh, let's wax lyrical also about Antonis, who oh. is just going... Level to level to level, just going up and up and up. He'd have to have the most, like, I don't know if they count score involvements as such. I know it's an AFL stat, but um, he'd have to have the most goal scoring involvements in the comp. He is in everything we do. He's leading so many of the metrics across the league right now, and I believe one of those is score involvements. Uh, Someone put up a, a graphic after our win against Adelaide that showed across seven different metrics he was either the best player or in like the top three or five mm-hmm. he is peaking and given what's happened with the asian cup scenario um you know and we'll get on to some of the asian cup squad speculation later but he'd be a brave man to to leave terry antonis out of that squad right now based on form mm-hmm. Uh, so the votes, Terry Antonis does uh, get the three votes. Uh, Toivonen gets two and Deng gets one. Do you agree with Deng? Uh, I actually would have gone Troisi yeah. um, for me. And I think, I mean, I, I don't vote, but yeah, I thought James was out of this world good. Uh, overall, Jace, yes. Honda's lead is getting clawed back. By one Terry, and he's only you know been out of the votes two weeks, but I'd yeah. say Terry is probably polled in every single game that he's uh, he's been a part of. Probably maybe with the exception of the first week or so when he's still finding his feet in that new position. But uh, that that doesn't seem to phase him now. He's he's certainly accustomed to his role within the team. How much does all this vindicate Kevin Muscat's relentless pursuit for his services, for yeah. Antonis' mm-hmm. services? Like he's wanted him for so long. He's got his man. Look at the finals campaign he delivered for us. And now look at these first eight or seven, eight games. Like, incredible. I reflected on our finals campaign a couple of months after the fact, and I reckon Terry Antonis is almost the biggest reason we won the comp. 
in the end. He just provided that link up that we were so sorely lacking between the the midfield and um, and Barisha at that point. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, six in the row for the Vuck. Things are looking good. It's time to chat with Guardian journalist Jonathan Halcroft. Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty Sound of their breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination Under the Milky Way tonight The next sponsor of Vuxake is Ambrosia Fall Designs, as seen on the block and married at first sight. Located in Telemarine, Ambrosia specialises in weddings, functions and corporate events. Ambrosia also offer four workshops which make great gift ideas. Book a consultation for your next event by calling Leanne on 9338-3609 or in contact or online at ambrosiafolddesigns.com. Mention FVS to receive a discount off your next booking. The next guest on FVS is a journalist for The Guardian. He covers lots of sports, including uh, football, and uh, yeah, has had a lot to do with the expansion and the governance uh, of the FFA over the last couple of months. And uh, he's based in Melbourne. So, uh, Jonathan Howcroft, welcome to For Vuck's Sake. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. Now, as I mentioned, you cover uh, a variety, wide variety of sports, and uh, namely, as mentioned, governance and expansion. But since we are a Melbourne Victory podcast, I'll start off by getting your thoughts on the start to the season for Melbourne Victory and also the game on Saturday night. How have you seen Melbourne Victory start? And, uh, and yeah, have, have, how's that gone? And uh, that was Friday night. Sorry, Dave, that's right. Friday night. How did you see the game on Friday night and Victory start to the season? Yeah, I think from a, a general season start point of view, it's intimidatingly good, isn't it? I mean, I'd be absolutely thrilled if I was a victory fan right now. The results are coming. The quality of the football is right up there with the best that we've seen in the history of the competition. And there's something sexy about it as well, isn't there? The the one-touch play, the there's something about the way Honda and Toivon and hold themselves as if you know, as if we're all all of us are working in the industry. We're all fans first and foremost, and and as a fan, that's just what you want to see from the terraces, from for for how you want your players to play and carry themselves. Um, specifically about the, the the game against Raw, both Toivon and Honda were involved in the goal line clearance in the first minute that that set the tone for the rest of the game, really. Um, so yeah, I just think it's it's absolutely fabulous to watch and enormous credit to, to Kevin Muscat um, who I, you know, I, won't, I won't presume to know what, what you think of him as, as victory fans but he, he has a reputation from his playing days and despite success as a coach you could draw lineage through to what he inherited from Ange Postacoglu in a, a reluctance often to change his style of play he's completely transformed it this season the diamond is is extremely ambitious he's playing a couple of players in positions that you might not have thought were 
with their preferred positions. It didn't start particularly well, the opening couple of games. Um, but now we're seeing the, the benefits of it. So, um, yeah, just nothing but praise, really, at this stage of the season. Jonathan, it's Dave here. Uh, in a couple of group chats today, I mentioned that uh, we're going to talk to you tonight and uh, the, the, resa- the, the uh, resounding response was, oh, gee, that's a good get. Uh, <laughs> I personally think it's probably because uh, you just have a very clear and, and cogent style. Uh, but here's, here's the thing. Uh, I don't know much about you. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? How long have you been in Australia now and, and where do your football loyalties lie? Yeah, sure. So um, I've been in Australia 10 years now as a permanent resident. Um, I married an Australian in the UK and um, we said we'd come over here for a bit of a look-see and feel, decide um, where we wanted to base ourselves. And about 20 minutes after leaving Tullamarine, I was like, yeah, this is it. We'll stay here for now, I think. This will do me. Um as for football, I had the, the great fortune of um, growing up in 80s and 90s England, the son of a Manchester United supporter. So um, I had a season ticket at Old Trafford for um, most of my youth and, and early adolescence. I went to university in Manchester um, in the late 90s. So I got to see all the fun stuff for um, for a few years, which was which is brilliant, really. Um, not so much at the moment. And the less said about um, the Liverpool result, the better. <laughs> but um, but then from a, um, a professional viewpoint, started covering football around 2010-ish um, and uh, an early start covering McLynch at the age. Did a, um, a little bit of, um, of work following him for a little while. And one of my very first assignments, really, was covering um, the derby when Kevin Muscat went um, went studs up on Adrian Zara. <laughs> so I, I had the misfortune of being sat at the front of the press conference um, asking Annie Merrick what his thoughts on the incident were. And as you can imagine, that, that didn't go down too well. But, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the, the, the background. Oh, it's good to hear. Now, Jason, in his introduction, mentioned that you've been covering the Congress and expansion stuff for a couple of months. It's actually uh, a couple of years, sadly, uh, because I've been following it too, and, and you've been a, a pretty good source of knowledge on, on all of this. On the Congress and everything, just how close do you think we got to FIFA taking over? How, how perilous you know, the, the situation was that at the end of it all? Yeah, I think it was extremely close because the um, the, the final EGM decision um, was effectively in the hands of the the smallest member federations, um, and and nobody really knew what their decision was likely to be. And and once that that last roll of the dice was um, was thrown, there wasn't really any other recourse. Um, at the time when the Congress Review Working Group was um, was, was instituted, it was seen as um, a normalisation committee in all but name, which means that after that, FIFA don't really have anywhere else to go. Um, so, so yeah, I, th- I think we came. I, th- I think we came very close. Um, I think what what has surprised a few people is how tight the anti-Lowy forces remained right to the very end. I think there was a suggestion that um, as the 
uh, as the stakes were raised that, that perhaps the bigger member federations would cave in or perhaps the clubs would fracture as a as a an organization um all aligned in in one self-interest but that didn't happen they stayed tight right to the very end um and meant that the longer it dragged out the more the game was was stacked in their favor and the key the key moment in hindsight when when somebody writes the book or the the espn 30 for 30 on it (laughs) it will be the 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 driest 30 for 30 it will be the moment that Zvonimir Boban's letter came through, which I just think is fantastic to begin with. The, the fact that Boban is is the signatory to something um, that, that could determine the future of Australian football, because his letter, um, when it when it appointed the Congress of You Working Group to to sort out the mess, it took the balance of responsibility away from FFA to make the decision and took it into FIFA's hands. And all the time it was in FFA's responsibility, they were beholden to Australian corporate law. So all of their decisions were based around what, what was in the best interest of FFA as a company. And then what Boban's letter does is it forces FFA to behave as a member of FIFA first and foremost. And everything else then starts to unravel. And because the clubs um, and the member federations stuck tight, they got the result that they wanted to in the end. But, yeah, in answer to your question, we, we probably came very, very close to the, an intervention. Yeah, and, and you mentioned that the anti-Lowy forces, so to speak, and, and how they stuck together. Do you think that in for some of those forces that it's kind of backfired on them given the way now the board has panned out? It really hasn't resulted in the kind of, I guess massive change that perhaps some of those other parties outside of the A-League club were, A-League clubs were hoping for? Um, so the way I see it, this whole thing has one objective, and that's A-League independence. Everything else that we're seeing at the moment is um, is small fry, really. The, it, not, not that it's irrelevant, but in the, in the grand scheme of things, this is all about one fight. And again, going back to the Congress Review Working Group, when the Congress of the Working Group was set up, it included in its terms of reference con- consideration of an independent A-League operating model, which was just the most extraordinary win for the clubs because that meant that um, not only was ex- was Congress expansion on the table, but the, the, the reason that they want Congress expansion was also part of the explicit mandate. Um, so if you think of it from... Um, from uh, uh, how, how to put this, so about eighty percent, roughly, of FFA's revenue is from the A League, and FFA doesn't own a great deal, but the value of what it does own is largely locked up in the value of the A League. So if you think of um, the A League as a public good, which it effectively is as a, an extension of the FFA. What we're looking at doing is, or what the clubs are looking at doing, is privatising, or privatising by stealth, a public asset. Mm. And this is this is what it all comes down to. What's the value of that asset, and how? What terms should be applied to make sure that the rest of the game benefits from the continued growth of that asset in the future? And what 
what Stephen Lowe in his board were adamant of all along was that the decision about how that um, that all unfolds should be of an independent board whose fiduciary duty is to the good of the game. And what the clubs have argued successfully is that an expanded Congress should be responsible for that decision, not the independent directors. And they've won that argument conclusively. And if you look at the board members that have come in, they all have the support of the clubs. Um, as you'll be very aware about Chris Nicky, who is a former victory, um, a former victory board member himself. So there's, um, while there may be um, some small wins and losses on the way, this all comes down to one enormous decision with the New Leagues Working Group reporting back at the end of March. Um, and after that, that's when we'll know about the the overall winners and, and losers in that whole process. But that that's really the the whole Congress expansion conversation comes down to um, to to the outcome of of that report and how it's then turned into policy after March 2019. Now. Expansion was announced in the last uh, week. It was uh, a little bit delayed because of those Congress issues, but uh, the Southwest Sydney bid and also the Western Melbourne group were admitted into the A-League starting next year and the year after. We probably, since we are a really Melbourne-centric type podcast, we might talk about the West Melbourne group and your yeah. thoughts on on that admission. And I, I guess we're going to jump into a pretty spirited debate in the next segment here, probably arguing whether it should have been West Melbourne or, or Dandenong. Do you think that ultimately the FFA made the right decision in adding Western Melbourne or have they really let an opportunity go by not um, not giving the licence to the Team 11 bit in Dandenong? Do you know, I don't have a strong opinion and I've, mm. I've not had a strong opinion on expansion throughout. You my... must be the only person on Twitter that doesn't. <laughs> I know. I mean, my the, the romantic part of, of my character would have wanted uh, a regional centre anyway. Mm. Canberra, Wollongong, um, Ipswich, wherever. That that's that's you know in my nature. But I think the my my broader answer to the question is, I actually don't think whoever was announced makes much difference. It's all about the structure. Mm-hmm. And I'm surprised that when the clubs released their statement um, in response, they, they they gave three lines of congratulations, well done, we look forward to working with you, yada, yada. And then they said the next round of expansion has to be done by an independent A-League. I'm surprised they didn't lead with that um, because that's where it, again, you know, repeating myself a little bit. I would like to think that we start with a blank sheet of paper at some point and establish what the optimal model is for the professional game in Australia. I'd like to hope that has at least two divisions. I'd like to hope that eventually that has promotion and relegation. And then we work backwards from that. What's, you know, what, what do we want as a football community and, and then how do we achieve it? This all is very piecemeal. It's, we've got 10 teams right now. We need more because we're bored. Here's two teams who we can pluck out of the sky and, and hit the ground running. It's, I don't, you know, it's not very satisfying to me for that. Um, if you're really going to push me, um, I like that Western Melbourne have a stadium. Mm. I think that's a huge, huge asset. The game doesn't have any assets. There's a, a, a few million um, cash in bank. FFA doesn't really 
own any infrastructure. Football federations, Victoria and New South Wales, own a reasonable amount of infrastructure. But um, if you listen to John Didlitzer, who is um, a fantastic um, speaker on the the organisation and finances of football, he will bang on all day about the infrastructure deficit that football has in comparison to other sports. So to finally own a stadium um, and hopefully we then see the benefits of owning that stadium and, and other clubs and, and other expansion bids um, follow suit so that we start to actually accumulate um, some more assets in the game. But as for, you know, as for the football side of it, I don't, I don't really have a strong opinion. Some would say, though, John, that the uh, new independent A-League and the fact that these two new uh, bids are throwing in reportedly about $30 million for their licences combined, that that probably means that the protection of the current licence model long-term is, is what is looking more likely rather than putting, I guess, some kind of threat of relegation towards some of these A-League clubs. I mean, that's just a bit of a speculation on my part, but that whole notion of the, the, the league looking differently, as you kind of touched on, is there some threat to that given that the, the sorts of money that we're talking about? Oh yeah, no. I'm. I'm. What I'm talking about is complete pie in the sky. <laughs> it's not real. It's not realistic whatsoever. Um, I think there's um, there there will be a second division soon, um, and one of the announcements that got buried uh, alongside the expansion announcements during the um, uh, during the press conference was that a second division working group with a board member, Rima Nogarota. Um, Will uh, will be formed. Um, there'll be a senior FFA member, um, PFA clubs, AAFC, um, and we will have a, a second tier at some point. It's just a case of figuring out the financial modelling, and then um, as for whether that becomes a standalone second division indefinitely, or has a, a, an integrated working relationship with the A League, depends on the A League clubs. Depends on. Um, how independent, how the terms of independence go, and and ultimately what the money looks like. And will does Fox Sports want to finance two divisions and and promotion and relegation between them? Um, that that remains to be seen. I'm I'm sceptical, particularly in the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, but as for the for the value of the licenses, absolutely. You know, it goes back to 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 that point um, right from the outset that they. They effectively represent the uh, the fixed asset in in the competition, and and the value of that absolutely has to be protected. And I've got no problem with that being a component in um, in the decision making of the board. Now, in terms of actually what that relates to um, to the FFA's bottom line, I think they only make I think Don Bossi reported that it's five million profit. Um, uh, as a consequence of that, so it's not like there's a, a massive windfall, um, uh, but clearly five million is is better than nothing at all. So just one more before you let you go, just quickly, the, uh, the Melbourne Derby is this Saturday night. You covered a little bit about the uh, the drama that's going on at Melbourne City right now with Bruno Fornaroli. 
are they un- on the right track of uh, becoming a decent football uh, team or will they forever remain a basket case? Um, and who would be your tip for the uh, the derby on Saturday night? Will victory continue their winning ways? Uh, you, you can't tip against victory mm. right now, can you? Um, so that's an easy one. As for City, it's a really good question and one that, that probably deserves its own podcast. Mm. Um, what City are doing as a football, as a... How to put it differently. What City are doing as an organisation mm-hmm. is really exciting. The facilities that they've got, the personnel that they've got, the strategies that they're adopting. You look at their success in women's football, in youth football, um, the, the interconnectedness with the whole City football group empire. So Melbourne City's youngest youth teams play and train based on Pep Guardiola's model of mm-hmm. Manchester City. I mean, that's, I think that's fantastic mm-hmm. and, and hugely exciting for the future of Australian football. What they haven't done is built an actual football club. Mm-hmm. And football clubs are more than just um, whiteboards and smart marketing slogans. It's about fans. It's about the tea lady that's been there 25 years. It's about the Lee Broxham characters who who come from the boot room and, and become 200-plus game players. It's it's all of that intangible stuff that it's really hard to 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 put your finger on or, or just throw money at and expect to appear. And this will be the last derby that the, the, the Melbourneian active supporter group are, are in operation. And, yeah. um, I know absolutely you're right to take the mickey out of them and and oh, we will. laugh at there <laughs> and as, as as you absolutely should but it's sad and you must empathize with how sad it is of that they felt the need to um to firstly protest and then and then secondly chuck it in because as much as as you hate them and as much as you you um you want to poke fun of them you have a lot more in common than um, than you disagree about, and and there, but for the grace of God, go go you lot. And mm. I think um, I don't think CFG really understand that. And I think because they inherited such a culture at Manchester City, and you know, as, as coming from a United fan, this isn't. I'm saying this with gritted teeth. <laughs> City's City supporter culture has stood the test of time. You don't go through the downs that they had without having a certain football character and football culture. So when you throw CFG money on top of that, it's you're going to get an incredible result. That You're not going to get the same at Melbourne Heart. You're not going to get the same um, elsewhere in the world. So I think they need to realise that soon and figure out that their project is more than just farming a few young kids and and sending them back to the mothership. They need to understand the DNA of, of being a football fan, and, and in particular in, in Australia, and, and they haven't done that. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Jonathan, for your time today. If any of our listeners do want to see more of Jonathan's work, uh, as I said, he is uh, currently writing for The Guardian, also on Twitter, JP Howcroft. Uh, Jonathan, once again, thank you, to, uh, thank you for your time and uh, joining us on FES. My pleasure. Enjoy the rest of the season. Looks like you're going to have a lot of fun. Certainly. Thanks, Jonathan. Pleasure.
Royal Parade Creative is a Melbourne-based studio that produces simple, clever design solutions done with a high level care, high level of care and sophistication. I'll get that out. Specialising in brand identity development and campaign art direction, typography, illustration, and digital, Royal Parade offers a lot of services you'd expect from a large agency without a large agency price tag. So, if you need a new club badge, billboard, or bar menu. Get in touch and find out how Royal Parade can make it happen. Mention the FES for a 10% discount on your first design project. Brand, art, design, thinking, Royal Parade. And look, uh, for those of you bucks out there that don't know, Royal Parade are actually the brains behind the Sud lineup of clothing and that new, new set of clothing from Sud is just terrific. The bucket hats, that bocker river type shirt thing that's going on I've put an order in for that so uh, it's on its way I'm a big fan of the Trojans inspired uh, the Rocksteady jumper yes mm-hmm. yep. and the big. bucket hats yeah so if you do want to get yourself uh, any of those t-shirts or bucket hats get onto sudcasuals.com sud casuals.com and uh, yeah get yourself some clobber now let's chat a few tidbits from uh, around the league and also uh, a few other things going on. The Melburnians, the supporter group for the Melbourne City fans, have announced that they will be disbanding after this derby. Uh, now they did release a statement on their Facebook page last night at about 10 and 30 at night, pretty late time for a media release. Obviously those guys don't really have much of a social media strategy. 10.22pm <laughs> on a Sunday night, probably not the best time to release. Just release kick them while they're down, Jace. Uh, anyway... Uh, They have released this statement, and I uh, read as follows. One of the most exciting weeks on the calendar, and for us, this is also the end of the road. Due to ongoing issues and restrictions with the club, FFA, Vic Pole, Stadium Security, and though it is the topic of jokes by rival clubs, the very obvious lack of numbers and participation makes life very difficult for those trying to run a terrace. We stress that this does not have any relation to Bruno <laughs> Fornaroli and his exclusion from the squad. As if you needed to reiterate that or to um, to make sure that wasn't the reason why. Um, are they really that upset about Bruno Fornaroli? Are they really well, that upset? Do you know that they, they did their 23-minute celebration in the 24th minute? Oh, uh, yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> the issues we've faced have been there for a number of years now with multiple leadership changes as a result of it. As a full-time on Derby Day, the Melburnians will officially be retired. We have 90 more minutes as a terrace, and we have every intention of giving the terrace a send-off it deserves. Um, well, and if no one's turning up, it probably doesn't deserve much of a send-off, does it? Uh, plenty of noise, colour, and hopefully the three points in the bag. Many people have tirelessly worked to build this terrace, and whilst it clearly hasn't progressed as we'd like, the efforts of each and every single person who has contributed... Um, we thank you, city till we die or until full time on Saturday. <laughs> May have added that last bit on. Uh, so it's an interesting one. I mean, Melbourne Victory fans have dealt with similar oppression for quite a while, and you probably sympathise a little bit with them. It's you know, at the end of the day, football fans going to games in a, you know going to games of an Australian league that slowly lacks fans, and you know Melbourne City has been. Uh, one of those teams that really haven't got a following, but uh, it'd be 
sad as much as we want to take the piss out of him to, to probably lose fans to the game. I think you're being just a little bit generous there, Jace. Uh, it's not as though they've had been starved of success. They won the FFA Cup, what, a season and a bit ago, mm. two seasons ago. They finished third last season under Warren Joyce. Now, obviously, they've called out issues with the FFA, Vic Pohl, and everything like that. Like, they're pretty much every club has to deal with those sorts of things. Like, I think they're just packing it in when it all gets too hard, Jason. I don't know if they're packing it in because it's too hard. It looks like that, you know, there's there's people not turning up and it might be a small group of people. Well, it's that, nothing new for them. People not turning <laughs> yeah, up. It's, it's a small group of people that uh, obviously well, we're just... a small group of people in the South End. You know, like. <laughs> they're, they're saying that the club's not coming to the party and this is the tweet Melbourne City yes. put out today. Uh, thanks to at the Melburnians for their support. Let's make Saturday louder than ever. Hashtag Derby. So they're just giving them absolutely nothing. It's just like, but, yeah, thanks, yeah. Yeah, thanks for your input. Have a good one. It's been a good couple of years. Like, yeah, that's, that's And it's the, that's been their issue, really. I mean, this is the biggest issue Melbourne City faces, in my opinion, is that there's no appetite for the club to come to the party for the fans they at all. Care. They don't and appear they don't to care about it. the fans. They don't yeah. need it, probably. They're, they're, you know, by often, their own often it's... Happy. Talked about that, oh, Melbourne City, yeah, got great, great community engagement and all this, you know, oh, you know, they're just out there, you know, in the communities, the boys and girls and all this. But, yeah, when, when it comes to match day and all of this sort of stuff, I, I, I will have some sympathy for, mm. for these people. Um, it's, uh, it is a, a little bit sad on one level, but at the same time, uh, you know, look, a new terrorist group will probably form out of this and. Yeah, that's a thing. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's not something the end, guys. I'm another sure. thing will come up, and yeah. you know, it's happened before everywhere. Yeah. But um, yeah. Look, I, I don't buy this. Um, you know that it's a you know, lack of success or a reason to support the club or anything like that. I, I can I can sympathise with the uh, authoritarianism sort of stuff that happens. Uh, but yeah. Uh, well, well, they, well, they need passionate fans. That's one of the biggest things holding back as a club. They just. I think a lot of people dropped off um, when Manchester City took over. If you're a big Premier League fan, as most people who like football in Australia are, and your club gets taken over by Manchester City, you know, any Man United supporter would have probably said, well, that's it for me. Mm. Uh, and then you know, Arsenal, Liverpool, all these yeah. other ones, you know, potentially as well. Uh, it sort of... yeah. It devalues it a bit, I guess. And, and look, they've done wonders in terms of the, the investment and everything like that. But yeah, Is this their second uh, fan group to, to, to die? Well, Yarrisai. Or, or did Yarrisai become yeah. Melburnians? I think or, they may have become Melburnians. But yeah, it'll all be closely linked. I'm sure that yeah, someone maybe well, takes responsibility. And, tell you what shits me about this mob. They misspell Melburnians. Yes. There's meant to be an O in it. They do. No, no. The proper spelling oh. of Melburnian is... With no O. So I'm misspelling it. Yes. I guarantee you. I, I prefer to, to think of them as misspelling no, it. No, it's definitely the official sp- spelling of Melburnian is It looks no terrible. O. We should, we need to get that changed. Ah, <laughs> uh, but you know. <laughs> got to, we got, we got to press they, on. They sh- We're running out yeah. of time. <laughs> Sorry, we, we've yeah. wasted <laughs> enough time on those flogs. Anyway. Uh, Asian Cup squad selection, we're going to push till next week because we're just running out of time. I want to, I want to yep. talk, talk to you, Dave, uh, about expansion because um, I'm, I'm fired up about this. I'm fired up about the decision. And I know you have some differing views on on you know, maybe the, the West Melbourne bid was good because it's got you know it's backed by cash and, and it's uh, going to be 
it's going to be stable and maybe I, the other one wasn't. But I, I'm I'm fired up. Maybe there's some bias here because Matt Winley, who's been on our show numerous times, uh, out of all these bids, and you know, not just the Victorian bids, but I'd say, dare say, across Australia, no one committed as much as Matt Winley in terms of personal investment. He, he left a job sure. yep. at the Herald Sun, which uh, you know was probably a really cushy job reporting on football, to take a chance on something. I feel really crushed for him. And, and when the announcement dropped last week, I was just really upset for him and, and thought that the FFA have given away a great opportunity because that bid made a lot of sense and I don't know what point of difference this West Melbourne bid has it's not that far away from from the Melbourne CBD and it's it's too far away from Geelong to be claimed as a Geelong yeah. team and I think that I, I still don't know if there's any official deal for them to play out of uh, Cadinia Park when oh, it'll, happen. it'll happen into the league but then I feel like they're going to discard Geelong anyway they, they keep those community ties because it's 50k's away and they want to they want to entrench themselves in West Melbourne so I just don't know what the point of difference is between oh, I think these two current Melbourne sides and, and West Melbourne. You've, you've misjudged my take on okay. this, as in I am equally gutted for, for Winley and Team yeah. 11. I think Team 11 was the best bid. In All of the bids had weaknesses, mm-hmm. right? So there was no disputing that. And I, I thought Team 11 would have been the ideal bid from a sustainable point of view in, in, in putting something out there in, in the deep southeast mm-hmm. of Victoria. The thing that was always going to be a disadvantage for them was the stadium and the fact that they were relying on government you know, funding for mm-hmm. that. Um, but there can be no doubting that the setup of having something in Dandenong would have been the best thing. But I, I grew up in the West. I, mm-hmm. I was born in Altona, right? Yeah. So I know the Western suburbs. And basically, Wyndham, you know, or where they're planning to, planning to build this stadium... That's the same distance from the CBD as Melbourne City's training base in Bundura. It's about yeah. 15K, 16Ks. This is just the third Melbourne team. Yeah. You put that stadium out in, in Tarnit. And don't get me wrong, Wyndham, Werribee and all of those, Traganina and all these suburbs, they are growing. It is a massive growth belt, absolutely no doubt, but not to the same extent as the whole Dandenong region. That whole Dandenong region, Casey, you know, and all of that, the greater part of southeast. That's that's almost like a community in itself. It's you know, an hour and a half or an hour or so to get out there. It, it really is distinct from mm-hmm. Melbourne, and so yeah, I, I I'm gutted for not just for Windleap and and look. The only thing that you probably got right about my take on this is that it's it would have been hard for the FFA to say no to a bid that was prepared to fork out the cash to mm. build their own stadium. Like that sort of investment. Yeah, you know, we, we we live in a country where football just doesn't get corporate support. It doesn't get these kind of things. So when these backers and investors come and say, "Here's the cash. We're going to build a stadium, and we're going to give you the license fee and all of this on top," it's hard to say no to that. And as much as I'm a bit crushed about it, and I don't necessarily like it, this is what we've got now, and mm-hmm. I just hope it succeeds. Wyndham Vale is about twice as far out from the city as Bundura. No. No, have a look. At it's, it Ta- is. I just Tane. looked it up. <laughs> it is about. It's it's thirty one k's versus sixteen k's for for Bundura. That's mm. Bundura is my area. That's where I grew up. Um, and there's there's definitely nothing in that. In you that know what Wyndham though? It's going to be. It's, it's, I think they've got they've got this money for a stadium, which is seemingly apart from the money. The reason why these guys got in because the FA was so tantalised by having a stadium for football. But it's going to be a slow build. You have to... It's literally right now, that area is just a fucking paddock. And you have to build... You have to build a train station, 
that's yeah. close by because right now it's an hour and a half walk from the ground that they're proposing. I think there's a there is a proposed um, station that's going there, but it seems like it's going to be built around a housing estate, and you have to get not there's there's so much that goes into a match day experience, and not not just the, the ground, but also facilities outside the ground, people to congregate, you know, restaurants, bars, etc. Yeah, and this won't happen for another it, probably it's such two, a, three, four years. It's such a long mm. build. So after you get the stadium, which is going to take a couple of years to build, so they're going to play probably out of Geelong for, for two or three years. Then they'll probably get to, uh, you know, this stadium. And who knows if that train station is still, you know, in the process of being built. It's a, it's a really long process to electrify a line and build build a new train station. It's there a really is, long there is a line there. The V-line goes past it. Like roughly, but the V line goes past more or less exactly where the stadium will be. The V line, yeah. So there's a V line. Um, it's like the Wyndham Vale station, yeah. and the next one down is Werribee West yeah. or something like that. But you have to so to to build a station and electrify it though is, is yeah. Different. I mean, it's not a small undertaking. Yeah, <laughs> and then you have to build all the the restaurants and and uh, and bars and things like that around there, which is an interesting once again place to put all that kind of stuff because it's going to be in a housing estate. So how how you know enticing is that to business owners? It's just a it's a real weird. It's decision. a weird one, yeah. And look, I did get that wrong because I don't know what um, map thing I looked at recently. Maybe I was just thinking of how long it took me to get into the city when I was growing up. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, that that whole area. Look, I understand it's 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 a very it's very flat. It's very you know there's a lot of new housing and everything like that. It's it, it does ultimately all of this comes down to cold hard cash and the fact that the Western Melbourne bid and a certain man called Lou Sticker who no doubt in the backgrounds was was pulling a whole bunch of strings and moving a whole bunch of moving parts to ensure that at the very last minute because in the week leading up to the announcement everyone was saying oh Team 11's in yeah, Team yeah, 11's in they and seemed to it was me. like um, it was a done deal. And then on the last day was Western Melbourne Group, which Western took Melbourne. everyone by surprise. It's, um, it's an interesting one for me. I, I was looking for, I was really hoping for it to be the southeast Melbourne bid, not because it's any closer to me or anything. I live miles away from either of them, but I was, um, I was really hoping for to do, to do that social good of bringing a football team down there. Mm-hmm. They've just, um, they've just started a an NBL side that will play down there, and to bring a soccer team down there to a a region. That's really crying out for something for for young people to something do. To do. Like yeah. it's it's growing so fast, and I mean it's got there's social issues out there. I mean we all you know I won't get into them now, but we all know um, we all followed the the election coverage and stuff. And the southeast is is um, massively massively growing, and I was really hoping for for us to be you know uh, like social leaders there. And yeah. and aside from that, we've also given basketball a massive leg up by not going out there. Yeah, and I guess look. But when you go from uh, the west into town, it's all freeway. So if you know, if there's no traffic, it's it's very quick to get in the city. Dandenong, you know, as Winley's recounted so many times when he's describing the the, the need for something out there, he's like saying that you know it takes an hour and a bit for people to get into mm-hmm. to Amy Park, and mm-hmm. therefore people who live out there find it hard to get behind the A League. I can tell you now, everyone that I know who lives out west is a vuck. Or they're you know pretty hell bent on their NPL side. There's you know I, I just can't see. I, I think they're going to struggle to get supporters because mm-hmm. for the first what two three seasons they're going to be playing out of Geelong. Yeah. Who yeah? If I live, if, I mean, I know that people who live in Werribee might say, "All right, we'll we'll drive down the M1 and hit up Cardinia Park and all of that." But yeah. 
Oh, it's just, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but yeah, it's money. Yeah, it's, it's difficult to develop an identity in Geelong when, when you move to West Melbourne, you're going to not really have that identity of being a Geelong team. You're going to be a West Melbourne team. So you're trying to get people to come down to Geelong and identify with you as a West Melbourne team, but also like it's, it's, it's a worse identity issue than being a Melbourne City fan at this stage. A, really. a Geelong people, after that stadium is built, going to like come to watch... They're going to drive for forty k's or whatever. And so uh, yeah, gonna, yeah, everybody gets on Mr. Google Maps. Can you tell us the distance between Cadinia Park and uh, Tarnit? Oh, I had a look Tarnit. the other day, and it's roughly about fifty k's. It's yeah. closer, so it's Tarnit's closer to oh, it's closer to Melbourne yeah, to yeah. Melbourne than um than than it is to Cadinia yeah. Park. So it's a, easy, a, yeah. at least at least easy on the train for them, which is good. Uh, the youth uh, team. They lost 2 0 to Perth. The WE team there, uh, I think it was five. No, they had a four, four three. game. Yeah. Had a, yeah, but they had a four game winning streak. Oh, I yes, think, so, sorry. Yeah. Four, it might be four or five. Either or. It's uh, broken. They lost 4 3 to the Raw yesterday. Uh, pretty uh, action packed game from, from all reports. Uh, Nadia, who uh, is uh, over in Spain right now, gave us the report and said that. Uh, it was uh, there's, there's so much here. She gave us such a long report. Uh, Raw scored first from a long shot at the tenth minute. Victory awarded a questionable free kick just outside the box, and at the twenty third minute, Nan scored from a free kick. I saw that goal, pretty impressive. One one half time, just after the break, a rare Dumont keeper blunder allowed Raw to score in the forty seventh minute, and then uh, Polkinghorne from the uh, from the Raw scored a corner, and then uh, the wind was uh, was coming in the wind and the rain, and uh, yeah. So it ended up being four three, and yes, I am recording Dave. <laughs> I love that we get we get our uh, we get our W League updates from Spain. <laughs> yes, I know. So the uh, the girls went down, but anyway, uh, let's move ahead to the game on Saturday night, the big Christmas derby, the uh, the one that all fans look forward to on the victory calendar, probably the uh, the match of the year for for all yeah, victory fans. As much as you know, City and Hart before them don't bring much to the table. This is actually, you know, usually the, the one that you circle when you get your fixture is like, you know, become just such a great game. I think it's got to do with the fact that it's always hot. It's a Saturday and, and people gather at the pubs and there's just something about, you know, letting them know who's boss in this town when we outnumber them at their home game. Yeah. Which is a humiliating thing. No wonder Melbourneians packed it in. Really, like. <laughs> you said it's always been hot, but uh, this has been a fucking dreadful December, and hasn't it? On Saturday, nineteen and raining, which is just past oh, the. Actually, I think December. that's that's better for football. I think in yeah. terms of comfort. But not for drinking with your mates in the pub. Uh, we are three and zip on away games, and this technically counts as an away game. Uh, Melbourne City, of course, one of only two teams to beat us this season, so perhaps they'll take some confidence into that first round win against us in the derby to start the season. But uh, hard to see us lose. I mean, really, Dave, as you said, uh, when you're an opposition coach, where do you even start? I mean, you just hope to, to be as organised as possible for as long as possible. That might uh, be conducive to a, a slightly boring game if they get on top and, and don't really play positive attacking football. They just try and wait for us to, to try and uh, penetrate them. But yeah. th- that means lots of ball, ball, lots of ball for us and uh, lots of chances to score. Warren Joyce is going to have to put uh, pull a uh, tactical rabbit out of his hat for this one because... When you come up against a side that's playing fluent football with confidence, it's it's extremely hard to match up against. And you know, confidence is such a big thing. And at the moment, I th- even though City had that pretty good morale boosting win against Adelaide, they've had two road trips on the 
on the bounce now, Perth and Adelaide, two tough trips, and yet they come out, you know, and got three points over in Adelaide, which surprised the hell out of me, I must say. But, mm. um, yeah, look, I, I can't see us losing this one, but a derby's going to derby, you mm. know. It's, it's just... The unpredictability of what can happen on Derby Day is like, you, you, for all money, you'd expect to win it. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I don't want to hang my hat on any particular prediction right now. Oh, really? No prediction? No You're prediction. saying no prediction? You want a prediction? Yeah, look, yeah, I, I, think a prediction. We'll, <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll win. Um, uh, I'm going to go with 3-2. I think I think they'll find a way to, to beat us a couple of times uh, and uh, but we'll prevail three two. Really? Mm. Uh, well, they've they've been playing Bacchus in their midfield. Um, that doesn't really worry me. I, f- I feel like we we've got more than enough tools to overrun them there. Um, Richie the late was a an early sub on the weekend due to injury, so yeah, he may not be paying. Um, and he tore uh, us to shreds hand, last time. Very handy player. Um, and they've been playing with Lockie Wales up front. So if we don't beat them here. Derby or no Derby, I'm going to be pretty annoyed about it. I reckon we're going to, I reckon we're going to do them three one. Cool, and I will. Oh uh, yeah, I think we'll probably concede, so I'll go three one with Rudy. Uh, so that's it for this week. Next mm. week, uh, we're going to be back at a, a regular time, um, depending on how you want to see us or listen to us. We're going to do a Facebook Live podcast on Sunday evening at around about five pm. So if you are a uh, a person who follows us on social media, jump onto our Facebook page, which is for Buck's sake. And uh, Friday, or sorry, Sunday rather, we'll do a live uh, Facebook podcast, which will then be uploaded the following day on Christmas Eve uh, on the uh, on the Monday. And uh, we'll do a call in show. So if you do the, uh, you got ad- one of those cameras that make people look a bit thinner, Jase. I'll just put it far away, mate, yeah. so they can't okay. see you. <laughs> Dave, you're, you're, you're very self Dave. I don't know what you're, you're about, beautiful. Yeah. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. But uh, if you want to call into the show, we'll be doing for Buck's sake. Words can't bring you down, Dave. For Buck's sake on Skype. Um, just be nice to Dave when you call. Tell him how beautiful he looks. He does look great, doesn't he? He looks, he looks like I said, svelte. He's, uh, he's very clean shaven. His hair's very nice. I love the, 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 uh, the businessman. Get up. You're a, you're a beautiful man, Dave. Oh, thank you, Rudy. Back at you. Yeah. <laughs> Brenton speeds on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, good night. Mother 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 Mother